Her top voice shrill as it must have been when she was a telephone operator talking over the long distance or over the short distance, screaming as if she were talking to the other side of the world when she was talking only to the next sleepy town. She cried and cried in her broken sleep, her thoughts as restless, as animated as her dress, which seemed the memory of the world, the spiders weaving their elusive webs, the spinning wheels spinning in gossamer fabric, the spindles with their drifting threads, the long-billed hummingbirds flying among the flying snowflakes, the jockeys riding red birds and the horses flying like birds, clowns, and dancing girls, starfish patterns and moon crescents and fishes, wrinkling, wrink, fishes, winking eyes, and horses' heads. So many images that she was like a mosaic or bits of mosaic still sticking against an ancient wall, powder cracking her face as if it had been a mask of clay, another face, a face repeated in many dreams because of its incompletion, its evasiveness, which was a prelude to birth or death. She was almost awake, restlessly moving in a shower of glassy sound like the breakings of icicles, the stuffed bird seeming ready to take wing, to leave its precarious perch, its brittle twig, the fox of her fur collar seeming ready to leap at the cry of the hounds, her spirit alerted, old bird dogs pointing their long noses, her transparent eyelids fluttering, shadows stirring in the long grass of a dream which, though personal, seemed almost impersonal at this stage, starting up so many other dreams, so many little cries, shrill and sharp, so many whir whirrings of muted wings, whisperings of dead voices, of no known form, and no wakefulness protecting her from those dark plans which had been growing, maturing in her thin and broken sleep. She solved, it seemed, no problem by her being awake, almost awake, and she was only worse off than she had been before, time having advanced through timeless dreams, for still there did come, continue, raging like the storm which displaced the stars or snuffed them out as if they had been candle flames. These old rivalries, jealousies which tore her apart, just as she complained, and she was not herself any more, if ever she had been herself and she was becoming with every jolt of this old bus upon the rutted road that other girl the girl her sleeping husband loved or thought he loved that old creature withered and thinner than the winter leaf in the blast in the whirlwind that old dead thing who would always live and always be beautiful in the sleeping prejudiced eyes he would always love her more than his wife she would rather be dead than look like her, that withered rival her husband loved because he had never loved. And what in the hell had she done, she screamed, with her pot of lip rouge, the bright orange red. And how should she laugh at her funeral unless she should paint her face to make her seem happier than she was, wearing this mask to hide her natural sorrow over anybody's passing away? And how should she dance if there was no partner? And what would her marriage be if there was no rival to make him remember that he had, no matter how far his mind wandered, a wife? He never thought of her but always of that other girl, the girl he had dreamed of marrying, and who, if the rumors could be trusted, was also dying, dying a fast death, having all these unfair advantages over his mortal wife, who must take her time, for that other girl was thin as a moonbeam and was not heavy with the stranger's child and she would never give birth unless to her own image like the ghost of the perfect love and she would never be dead in his eyes she would never have to endure the test of marriage the daily friction she would not have to rub what wood until it broke into the flame of a star 
Sometimes his wife thought, her face darkened with furious grief as her eyes sparkled, as if she were suddenly coming to life, that there was no other girl but only one she had imagined, that ever since she had found herself with the child of a stranger hanging to her heart, she had been imagining things, that she had surely imagined herself into this terrible triangle from which she could not extricate herself. The triangle remained when she, when love was gone. Sometimes she thought she was her own rival, already grown old, taking away his love because his love had never been given to anyone on earth and never would be. Surely never would be given to her, poor little dancing girl, who was buried long ago under the leaf mold, and who would be forgotten by him without his wife to remind him, awakening his memory. She shook the powdery dust out of her coat, the dust settling back up again upon her shoulders, just in that single instant, for everything was self-contradictory, it seemed, as she was, and perhaps life must always have, so long as it is life, these double motions like the progressions of delicate planets, circles within circles, wheels within wheels, orbs within orbs, and death should not be simple. Death should be involved, such complexity as life had been, such breathings, such whisperings, laughings and cryings, the imaginary lovers quarreling, pinching each other in the livid darkness, and beauty should last beyond beauty's unmarked grave, and stars should deceive us when they shine no more, when we only imagine that, because we see them, they are shining in the sky, though long ago they did perish, rustling like the autumn leaves, whirling, falling in the ghostly dance, Perhaps when life is gone, life continues in the mind, and all we should ever know of death would be what we imagined. This vivacity of roaring stars, whirlpools, whirlwinds, this illusion that we lived or died. She powdered her sharp nose with a dust-colored powder puff, wiped away the red smear from her lips, bit her thin lips until the color returned, blew her breath against a dust-colored hand mirror, blowing away the dust of the pottery which settled back again like a wreath falling. She was always, it seemed, taking off, putting on another, putting on her other face, pinching her clay cheeks, biting her color, colorless lips. She was never satisfied with these results, none of which should be ultimate. There was always the necessity of self-improvement, and she must paint her eyelids purple, and she must comb her blanched hair, and she must view again these tentative results. She frowned, for she was not pleased with her image in the dark glass. Heaven itself should not please her. With thin, brittle movements as if, as of a tree in the wind, a tree too brittle to endure the storms of life, she moved restlessly, arranging herself, rouging her thin cheekbones with a red rag, pinching her cheeks, making a tiny curl upon her forehead, a curl like a feather at the back of her neck, seeming also to arrange the shadows. She plucked her already invisible eyebrows with an eyebrow tweezer, then marked with an eyebrow pencil where her eyebrows should have been, somewhat missing her aim. She was like a tired archer. Perhaps she would always miss her target. She pulled her short skirts down below her knees, now when it was too late. Her skirts crept up again, showing two hearts, but she did not seem to notice. Now she was arranged stiff and upright again, at least for another moment, though the dust was still clinging to the mildewed velvet flowers and ribbons of her hat and the bird molting a moth-like feather, the powers of disintegration being great, as great as those of life, and fog a greater clarity than light than clarity. She drew her head down, the scrappy fur collar up around her thin and scrawny neck, and her sharp nose was sniffing, 
cold air current, and her little beady eyes were bright with shrewd, speculative gleamings as she complained, continuing in a lucid interval, those dark complaints begun in sleep. All the men were alike, old beasts with their coarse, whipping tongues, old beasts nuzzling at the coldest lily bulbs there ever were, and this old husband at her side was no different from the others. He had never touched his wife's cold heart, never would, never just as he would not touch that other girl's cold heart or awaken the dead by his love. Marriage, what was it but only this awakening which had delusioned her, wrecking her lost soul, and which had opened her eyes? When the men got you, they treated you differently from when they were only dreaming of you, she said, and your beautiful hair. She seemed to be trying to explain, though perhaps she was talking only to herself or to the dead ears and the clouds, to the silent stars, to whoever might listen. There should have been a heavenly harmony, but there was none. Mary should have closed her eyes, it seemed to her, and she should have slept a deeper sleep than if she had been in her grave with the waters roaring over her. But everything was different now that she was legally married, everything fading so fast. She would have been happier if she had married the great potter. She would have been happier if she had married a glass blower, blowing ethereal shapes of color and light. After all, as she, as she could only console herself by thinking, it had not been a marriage of true souls, and it had not been a marriage of bodies, for each had missed his love and the image of his love. They were married because love was impossible for them. If they had loved, they would never have married. Certainly they would never have married each other. Someone else had ruined her and taken away her youth and robbed her of her beauty, her little hourglass form. So much had happened recently. It was only a marriage of convenience, she cried, now causing her this great inconvenience, now tearing her apart limb from limb, so that she was no longer herself and she was hopping on one foot. Poor little dancing girl, poor little clown. She had married him to give a name to the child, a father to the child. Here on her honeymoon, dark without a moon, she was already planning her divorce, her separation from him. Marriage, what was it but always, even if it was convenient, this inconvenience, the violence of the night, which the day remembered, even, if it, even when it was forgotten. Marriage was not the realization of a young girl's dreams, even when she married a great athlete and when all the other girls envied her. Marriage was not, certainly, what she had thought it would be, and it was never tailor-made, never she had planned, for she was married to this poor shadow of a man, this poor substitute for the love she had never loved, and he was married to her, this poor shadow of herself, so pale that she was scarcely visible. She had thought she was marrying one man, someone who would be good and kind and true to her, someone who would be faithful, and she was marrying another, even as if her marriage were an empty dream from which she had awakened seen with horror whom she had really married so long ago that she had forgotten the time, his old, cold, clear eyes staring at her through the murky light of dawn after dawn, seen with horror his gray beard flapping in the winter wind, his face like a death's head melting into light, his ghostly hand with no flesh upon his long fingers, and yet this poor husband did not know her father, who was his rival for her dead love. He certainly had changed since the night when she, with her little eyes closed, her little fists clenched, had married him, and he saw her now through different eyes, always holding it against her that she was not the girl he had thought he had married, that she was not young and beautiful and pure as a new-fallen snow, but old and broken and gray, an old woman before her time, old enough to be his mother, and her chin was grizzled like that, 
of an old man, and she was bent to earth and was scratching the air, the glassy wind, the cobalt clouds. Not that he said these things, of course, but she knew what he thought even when he was sleeping. So they were united by disunion, she and he, the poor shadows of themselves in earthly life, their marriage being such perfection as death itself could never break. For what was death? It was the falling of the snow, it was the opening of a flower, it was the singing of a bird. Maybe the disappointment she was experiencing now, though, was just what everybody else had to go through, even in the best of families. Maybe marriage was always like this, even when it was ideal, when it was one of those true marriages which are made in heaven. Maybe marriage never put an end to things, never laid the whirling ghost. It was a glove which never fit any hand. She laid her bridal veil over the face of nature, cold and dead. Maybe marriage came always only with these mortal complications, never saved the soul who was already lost, never solved one's problems as one thought it should, and you were always married in this fog, not knowing who you were or who the other person was, and in this fog you died. Marriage was always marriage to something you had not foreseen, something surprising, she said, these terrible shiftings of hearts, of faces, of forms in the night, and when you awakened you were disillusioned, naturally seeing the other face. You were surprised as if you had been out all night drunk, marrying when you knew not what you did or where you were, marrying a stranger, a perfect stranger to you, someone you had never seen before, and when you awakened, if you had married a man, there was that old man whose face you had always known ever since your childhood, or if you had married a girl, there was that old girl with her purple bloodshot eyes, her bleeding mouth in the cold light of dawn, her body as cold as a corpse. Maybe you had married both. It was not the girl you had thought you had married, not the man. It was the other couple always, the other love, the other death, and that was why she cried, her little eyelids fluttering like moths in the long grass. That old Adam never tempted me, she indistinctly said, as if she were half asleep, and I never tempted him. Why should she have tempted him? She had had everything a single girl could ask for, always paying her own way. You know I did, asking nothing of anyone. I was the apple highest on the tree, hardest to reach. Boys would have given their eyes for me. Old men went crazy. I lived on crumbs. What now, though, had she got? What to show for her mental independence? For was she not dependent, and could she not hear the flutter of a moth in her ear? But why was a moth reproaching her? Was a moth reproaching her for what she had never done? Where's my trousseau? Where's my bridegroom? Where's my bride? Who pays the bills? Where's my child's bed? Little child's bed with a gossamer canopy over it and flowers in her little hands. Where's my funeral? She kicked at the football boy with her glass heel, kicking so hard that the bird shook on her hat and lost another feather. Kicking to try to wake him up, make him see the light, she said, before it was too late, for the light was fading from her eyes. He should understand, in the brief time he had, life's tragedy, which had already taken place, probably before he was ever born. Wake up, she said, jabbing it with her sharp elbow. You poor boy, you will sleep your life away, and don't tell me it's these fumes. You're dreaming again, dreaming of her, the girl you know you love, the one you never would have married, for it's not your wife you dream of. She was taken by that old man. You're not the bridegroom. You only think you are. I'm not the bride. Her face was triumphant, yet, though, though her voice was an accusation, rasping and shrill as if it were she who had lost, for he did not awaken. He seemed to sink into deeper sleep. She's dying. 
and will you not go with her? The girl you love is dying, crippled, dearies, dancing on one foot. She's gone and laughing all the way. Now you think you would have married her? Now when it's too late for giving in marriage, she prodded. And you just know it is, and you would have to share her with the dead boys, the other team. You always did play on the safe side, taking none of these risks or leaving them all to me or someone else. I am the one who bleeds when I should not be bleeding. My heart bleeds for her. How do you think I feel? Where's my lost girlhood, my youth? Where's my little red stag? You think you always loved her, that you always will, even when you can't remember her face or recognize it when you see it again, even if you should forget her name? I grow old here, you think, but she does not grow old, and you do not grow old. Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, how wrong you are. The rain falls on her, and the snow falls, and the wind blows. She's not different from us. She has her phases, too. She waxed, but now she wanes. When I wax, she wanes. He thought she had no age, that time would never lay its cruel hand upon that other girl's brow, or turn her hair gray, that she was as beautiful now as when she had been young, but how wrong he was, for time had already touched her, 